Some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. And I'm Sean McCraney, your host, and this is Brian, the big guy, and this is Jacob, his son, and I just tried to hold him, and he punched me and screamed. So uh, we always, if we have kids in the audience, we love to get them on here to show you a future Christian. So uh, you guys take care. Say hi. Thanks, you guys. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart uh, on television, have them go to www.hotm.tv, and they can watch Heart of the Matter from anywhere in the world through live streaming video. I was a born-again Mormon. We have uh, turned it into a downloadable PDF. You can access this uh, uh, manuscript for free by just going to that website, hotm.tv. Click on download, prints up, puts it on your hard drive, whatever, and you've got it there free of charge and in your hands. How's your personal Bible study and knowledge? Join us every week either in Logan at Utah State or at the University of Utah at uh, U of U for a weekly Bible study. You can go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information uh, about that. <clears throat> We'd like to take, or I would like to take a minute and seek your forgiveness, um, especially if you are LDS. As a natural man, I am by nature uh, and uh, environment aggressive. And at times I get uh, angry. The Lord has worked immeasurably on me in this area but I am still in a body of flesh. Last week, I said and allowed a few things to occur on this program, of which I'm responsible, that were not of him, I don't believe, or of his spirit. First, while talking to a caller named Beth, uh, because of her behaviors, I reacted and said, among other things, that she was a dummy. Now, I know that Beth is not a dummy in all probability, and it was mean, and it was improper, and not in character with the love that I should exhibit toward anybody who calls in uh, with a question, comment, or whatever. When I meet LDS people face-to-face, -face, individually, uh, I rarely stoop to such stupidity. Uh, so I am sorry, Beth, and I ask your forgiveness and the forgiveness of all the audience if I offended you. I was wrong. It was also negligent of me since this is our production from our ministry, uh, and I am in charge of that. Not to uh, tell a, a viewing audience, and it was a large viewing audience last week, uh, about proper Christian decorum. Now, I am the last one to uh, try to stop humor or people cracking up at things that are funny. 
whether it's in a debate or whatever else, that's all fine. But we never want uh, any, our, we don't want the show or our audience to be known as people who mock uh, sincere faith or religious inquiry by people who are seeking. And every now and then, people just don't understand and a group mentality. Sometimes people will burst out laughing at other people's heartfelt sentiments about what they believe. And, and, and I don't ever want to uh, mock your heartfelt sentiments when, you're seek, when you are seeking and trying to understand, and that is not our purpose whatsoever. So please forgive us for um, those errors. I want nothing more than to speak truth, absolute truth, in love. And often I fail, but this is my heart for God, our family, our friends, and for the LDS especially. Last Saturday, I was blessed with the opportunity to be a guest on a, uh, one of the largest Canadian radio uh, talk shows, The Drew Marshall Show. And Drew has interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, and he was very respectful to our ministry and our mission. Uh, you can check that program out and other programs of Drew's at www.drewmarshall.ca. That's for Canada. On the heels of this interview, one of our good friends, a couple, Pam and Mark, suggested that we might mention some of the far-off places where we receive emails from fans of the show. So while we thank everybody near and far for supporting us and, 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 and being our fans in the United States, uh, here's a sampling of some of our most ardent fans from the more remote locations in the world. Uh, Vigny and Kajelte in Norway, Magnus Eve Klaus Guillermo from Sweden, Christopher Arthur Michael from Spain, Peter, PJ, Carmen, Darren, Matthew, Chris, Clive, Pete, Louis, Jessica from the UK, Robert and Paul from Scotland, Derny and Abner from Brazil, Carmen Henning, Robert and Callie from Germany, Derek from South Africa, Stefan from Europe, Tom from Japan, Joseph from Russia, Attila from Hungary, Imtiaz, Ben, Christopher, Shayla, Fiona, Alice, Joanna, Brianne, Jeremy, Leon, Arthur, uh, Monica, Andre, and Tyler from Canada, Miguel from Belgium, Ravine from Malaysia, Josh from Taiwan, Servine and Peter from France, Janisa from Asia, Tim from India, Carrie from New Zealand, Nicolina from Finland, and Alan and Philip from Australia. There are many, many more. I'm sorry if we've missed you, but this is a sampling from some, some very strong supporters who tell their friends and neighbors about the show worldwide. I think it's really important to remember, however, that all of these fans are a direct result of one man's efforts. Uh, Andreas from Norway, years ago, on his own dime and on his own time, he asked if he could take the time and trouble to post segments of Heart of the Matter on YouTube. This has brought tens and tens of thousands of viewers to our website at hotm.tv. And it's because of his willingness, our fan base has spread worldwide. Otherwise, it would probably be just a local uh, state of Utah, Idaho show. God wants people to know the truth, and he operates through you and I, in love to reach them. Where he leads, don't be afraid to follow. And our thanks to Andreas, our brother. With that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all you do and all you continue to do and all you have done. 
And we, uh, we pray, Lord, that your spirit will be here with us. Help us as we seek to understand your word and uh, the difference between truth and error. Bless our audience here, those who are in uh, the t- television audience, and whoever else might watch this program. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. <coughs> okay. If you've ever had a conversation of any length with a Latter-day Saint, especially a true believing Latter-day Saint, it doesn't take long where you, where you'll hear them use a word often kind of gravely, and it's the atonement, atonement. In their testimony meetings, which they hold once a month, the congregates get up uh, when they want, as led by the Spirit, they say, and they give their testimony, and they often say something very similar to this. I want to bear my testimony. I know the church is true. I know Joseph Smith was a prophet. I know the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is on the earth today and is led by a true prophet of God, Thomas F. Monson. And then they'll say, I'm grateful for the atonement, which makes it possible for me to live again with my heavenly father. The atonement makes it possible for them to live again with their heavenly father. What is it? What does it mean? Where did it come from? Why is it here? And where is it going? The atonement. In Mormonism, the first use of the word atonement, listen to this, is ironically enough found in the Book of Mormon. 2 Nephi 9.26 says, quote, For the atonement satisfies all the demands of his justice upon all who, and it goes on to, to rattle off some LDS doctrine that's found in the Book of Mormon. Now, I say ironically because the word atonement here was supposed to have been translated from ancient golden plates by Joseph Smith into the text of the Book of Mormon. But the word atonement is an invented word. It was invented in the 1500s. In the 16th century, the 1500s, Bible scholar and translator William Tyndale recognized that there was not a real good English word or translation of the Bible Hebraic concept of, a, of deific satisfaction, which means there wasn't a word in our English language that could, that could translate this Hebrew idea of the sin and evil of something being taken away completely or in the Old Testament covered and then God being satisfied by, that, by the justice being met and then his mercy could be extended. So, so Tyndale, he took the word at and he took the word one-ment and he created the word atonement. At one meant. And it reflects the dual aspect of Christ's sacrifice, both the remission of sins and the reconciliation of uh, man to God. Tyndale's concept overcame the limitations of another English word, reconciliation, which sometimes doesn't uh, seem to carry the same weight when it comes to incorporating theological aspects of propitiation, a big word I'll talk about in a minute, and forgiveness. So it's funny, the LDS apologists will mock Christians for using the word Trinity. They'll say it's not even found in the Bible. But the LDS base all so- their whole idea of Christ and what he did for you on a man-made word from Tyndale that's found in the Book of Mormon Anachronistically, 
It's not even in the Book of Mormon in a, in a real place. It was used by Joseph Smith, obviously not a translation from some plates because the word existed only from the 1500s on. Okay, whatever. The word atonement is found only once in the King James Version of the New Testament of the Bible, and it's in Romans 5.11, and it was changed to reconciliation later on in later Bible translations. The word atonement is frequently used in the Old Testament translation of the King James and was used to refer to something that made total satisfaction for sin. In Exodus 32:30, Moses said, quote, to the children of Israel, you have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for that sin. Okay, and that's the made up word by Tyndale. So when atonement was done in the Old Testament, an act was done that would bring temporary satisfaction for sin that would reconcile the sinful person or people to God, okay? And, but it was only the shed blood of Jesus Christ that would permanently bring satisfaction uh, uh, between God and man. For the children of Israel under the law, the shed blood of animals made this temporary payment or propitiation and the people's righteous living by faith and their ordinances and the works that they did was requisite to continue to show their love for God and for man. By the atonement of Christ, however, Christians generally mean all the work that Jesus Christ did to expiate sins once and for all. It was everything Jesus did to take care of all the stuff that was done temporarily in the Old Testament. When speaking of Christ's saving work, the word satisfaction, in my opinion and in other uh, scholars' opinions, is the word, um, the, the word satisfaction is better. It's the word the Reformation scholars and theologians used instead of atonement. Uh, and it's preferable to that word for Christ satisfied all the demands of God, all on behalf of sinners, okay? To Christians, Christ's work consisted of suffering and, listen really closely to this, and obedience, okay? To Christians, Christ's atoning work uh, was his suffering and his life's obedience, perfect obedience to the law and the prophets. And because this work it was vicarious, uh, meaning it was not merely for our benefit, but it was actually in our stead. He actually stood in Sean McCraney's place and he paid for my sins and he lived a perfectly righteous life because it, vicariously it wasn't just um, for my benefit, but it was in my place, uh, full payment for sin, and it was made, and I was made righteous. I was given a righteous life which was imputed to me because of my faith by grace in him who did it for me on my behalf. Because our sin and guilt was fully expiated, and that's just a word for covered, because it was fully covered, by the punishment which our Savior and King endured, God is rendered, the word is propitious. I hope I'm saying it right, but I think I am. Which simply means God's unconditional love and mercy uh, is made consistent now 
with the eternal demands of justice. That's his propitiation, okay? It was done by what Christ did, okay? By virtue of Christ's work, his obedience, his righteousness, his suffering and death, our alienation from God ceases and reconciliation is brought together, satisfaction complete, done, okay? And this reconciliation is mutual, okay? This is really important. It's not that sinners are just reconciled to God, but it's also imminently that God is reconciled completely to sinners through the final act of Jesus Christ. It must also be consistently kept in mind that the atonement or reconciliation or satisfaction um, does, it does not cause God to love us. The atonement or reconciliation of Jesus Christ does not cause God to love us, um, but it is the consequence of God's love toward us. All right. Remember John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave. It wasn't because that his son did that that now he loves. He always did love. That's why his son came. Now, Christians know from the Bible that because Jesus came, lived perfectly, lovingly, obediently, fulfilling the law and the prophets and then suffered and died, Full and complete forgiveness of sin, past, present, and future, is had through grace, by faith, and faith alone. We joyfully read as Christians, Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And John 3.15 reminds us that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Excuse me one second. <clears throat> Additionally, the Bible is clear that we are not only cleaned and cleared of our sin by our faith, we are also made righteous by this eternal reconciliation. Listen carefully to what Romans 5 lays out for us, starting with verse 6. It says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we learn here that God demonstrated his love for us by having his son die while we were sinners. The blood was not shed because we were righteous or would repent um, but while we were still sinful, that's you and me. The blood was graciously given and shed because God so loved the world, not because anyone in the world deserved the shed blood. You got that? Then in verse nine, it reads, now listen closely. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, that's talking about Jesus dying on the cross, his death, his bloodshed. If we were enemies and we were reconciled there, it goes on much more, 
having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So, so uh, Paul says, listen, the shed blood justified us and we, were, we had our sins forgiven. However, because of his life, we also now are reconciled even much more. That is the imputation of his righteousness into the life of a believer. All right, this is very, very, very important, my friends, in the LDS Christian dialogue about uh, salvation. Why? Because they take the life of Jesus, his suffering and his death, and they twist it up and they give it only partial significance and importance. And then the rest is placed upon you, the believer. And this not only amounts to another gospel, it amounts to a burden that is placed on the back of people who seek to be his. Let me give you an example, and I'll give you some backup support, and we'll go to the phones. To Christians, and this example is going to be wanting, because it comes from my head, but it's just an example to get you to think. To Christians, Jesus' atonement could, in a very very limited manner, be seen like this. Um, we, We are all of us living in a village that is ruled by a benevolent and caring and loving king. And this beautiful king has provided this special servant uh, to the small village, and this special servant cares for the needs of the villagers, uh, that anything that they might encounter. Uh, he brings them milk and food, and he heals them by the powers that the king has invested in him, and he makes all things right and good in the villager's life. Everything that this servant does is free of charge. It's because these villagers are the kings and he loves them and the, and the servant does everything for them by virtue of this love and grace. But what enables the servant to show up and do that work, bring the food, heal, serve, is the villager's belief that the servant really exists and that the servant will really do what the king has promised he would do. Nothing more. The villagers trust the king and they say, I know he's going to show up in my life. I trust that I believe him and he does. Now the villagers are kind of broken up into two parties. One party believes that all they need to do is believe in the king's promise to them and the servant will appear. And he does. He appears and he grants them all these things that they want and need and love. And they experience this constantly in their life. And they can say, I can tell you, he shows up and it's just because I believe. And it's a wonderful relationship. The other group of villagers, they don't think that believing the king is enough. They believe him, but they think there's other things they can do. So they send gifts to the king's castle and they dress really nicely when they're about the village. And they post pictures of the king outside their homes so that when he goes by, he can see them. And then he believe, they believe they're earning the king's favor and therefore the servant will come. They believe there is much they need to do to facilitate that servant to come and help them in their cares. Interestingly, the servant comes to all because both sides believe that they have to have some kind of faith or trust in him. He comes to those who do nothing but believe and trust most abundantly. And these villagers find themselves completely free to live and love each other and love the king. And they have a very different existence than the other side. The other villagers, because they believe the servant does this because of what they're doing, um, 
they are burdened by the false notion that they have to keep up, that there's things they need to do. And it takes from this faith in the king and it puts it on their back. And pretty soon competition begins. Well, the guy across the cobblestone path, he has a wider cloak and maybe the king will like him more. And so I'm going to get my, and maybe this one has a bigger collar. And maybe this one has a nicer picture on the side of his cottage. You see, this is the difference between the LDS idea of atonement and the Christian knowledge of it. Okay? Christians believe the servant holy. They know he will show up. They trust in the king's promises of the servant, not because they deserve it, but because he loves them and they trust him and his promises. The LDS believe that the servant will only appear. He will come maybe initially, but he will only appear if they do the work that will appease their king and they will throw in their efforts and their merits of love. Listen, if you think I'm wrong on this, what the self-described LDS apostle, currently James E. Faust said of the atonement in the 2001 Ensign Magazine. Listen, he said, our salvation depends on believing in and accepting the atonement. Such acceptance requires a continual effort to understand it more fully. The atonement advances our moral course of learning by making it possible for our natures to become perfect. All of us have sinned and need to repent to fully pay our part of the debt. When we sincerely repent, the Savior's magnificent atonement pays the rest of the debt. And that is so opposite of the gospel message. It is an, a different gospel. It is a perverted gospel. And this is from a man who calls himself an apostle. He says that it's you have to do your part and then he will do his part. It's really important to know that the LD, to, uh, that to the LDS, what Jesus did with his life and through his death does two things. They believe first and foremost, he swept away physical death that was caused by Adam. This is their idea in many ways of salvation. So if they say, we believe we're saved by grace, what they're saying is we believe that it's a free gift of God's to bring us and resurrect us from the grave. That's the free gift that God gives us. And that's because Jesus overcame death and paid for what Adam did uh, by sinning. Um, the second part, that's part A of the, of, of the uh, atonement, the, the resurrection. The second part, is Mormons say, um, is that you have to do more. Jesus' death and resurrection gives everyone the opportunity now to become exalted or the way Christians believe to live with God. This comes by their works, by their own righteousness, their own obedience. They're receiving all the LDS ordinances. Self-described apostle Russell M. Nielsen said in an Insign article dated February 2003, quote, thanks to the atonement, the gift of immortality, that means resurrection, is unconditional. The greater gift of eternal life, that's living with God, however, is conditional. In order to qualify, one must deny oneself of ungodliness and honor the ordinances and covenants of the temple. Okay? Jesus, not enough. 
Got to go temple, Masonic origins, do that in order to qualify for the godliness that the biblical Jesus promises any who just believe. The Bible's emphatically clear. Well-respected LDS uh, apostle and scholar James Talmadge said, quote, the sectarian dogma of justification by faith alone has exercised an influence of evil. Okay, this, he's saying that it's evil to believe that we are saved by faith in Jesus alone. And the LDS believe it through and through. When a Latter-day Saint says the atonement makes Jesus, makes the atonement of Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to live with God again, they are confessing the holy false notion that men are not saved by grace through faith alone, but by grace through faith and works. That it is by works that they do that tells God, okay, apply the atonement to my life now. Another distinction between the LDS before we go to the phones and believing, uh, Bible-believing Christians is the way the atonement is used. And I'm just going to give you a closing analogy. To Christians, by having faith in Jesus Christ, they receive what he is offering and they are saved by grace. And this is a salvation that covers all their sins, past, present, and future. And then they learn to walk with God through obedience to the law of love and faith and, and doing the works even more so because of this being saved, okay? That's the Christian view. The LDS view is more like um, the atonement is like a disinfectant for a deep wound that's in a, a locked um, first aid kit on the wall. And because of your negligence, you cut your knee deeply. And the LDS leaders say, well, before we give you the combination to that lock, to apply the atonement for that sin wound you have, you have to show that you're worthy of being able to apply the atonement to your sin. And once you have done that and gone through the proper steps of repentance and obedience and paying the tithes and getting back on track and everything else, then here's the combo, unlock it and spray the disinfectant on and you'll be completely healed. That's how it works within the LDS church. My friends, one of the greatest lies ever perpetrated on, in the annals of people who try to pass themselves off as Christian is the LDS third article of faith. We'll end with it. It says, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. It's a big giant fetter on the backs of millions of people today. We hope you'll shed it and let the Lord free you from this lie about atonement and come to the full saving grace of Jesus Christ. Let's open up the phone lines. 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820, first time callers only. Uh, please, uh, please have uh, your television sets turned down and uh, LDS callers, if at all possible. We're waiting for Chris in West Virginia, Alan in Ogden, Utah, Bradley in Napa, Idaho, and Victor in Los Angeles. Los Angeles. And uh, we'll come back after we watch this brief message.
watching you are watching Heart of the Matter, a live weekly television program right here from the Mecca of Mormonism. We've been on the air for almost four years now. Now, we're a tax-exempt corporation, and we survive solely on your financial support. There are two ways that you can uh, help support this ministry financially, through the mail or through the Internet. Now, some people give as they can. And everything is a great blessing to us. We are so grateful for the support people have given over the years. We also invite anyone inclined to join with us in this fruitful ministry by becoming a partner. And this simply means you're in a position to contribute a certain amount annually, which greatly helps us with our planning. Be our friend, become our partner, but we do need your support if you're so inclined of the Lord and you have already given to the church. For more information, call 888-868-HOTM or 888-868-4686. Write to us at 314 South Redwood Road, Salt Lake City, 84104 or get on the internet www.hotm.tv for more information god bless y'all so we're uh back before we go to the phones i gotta read this uh email this is from someone saying mormons believe that elohim has a wife my neighbor says mormons believe that her name is eloher and together elohim and eloher are known as elohem is he pulling my leg or is this true? Uh, he's definitely pulling your leg because if it were true, then their infants would be known as Elofence and their favorite color would be Elo and they'd answer the phone, Elo, and their favorite band would be ELO and it goes on and on and on. So it's not true. Elohim is who they say is the proper noun name for God the Father, which of course we have shown is false. Let's go to Chris in West Virginia on line two. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing, Sean? Doing well. How are you? Doing pretty good. Got a uh, question for you. Yes. Uh, two Mormons had come to my house this past Sunday. Uh, I'm a born-again Christian and uh, had a pretty good conversation with them, invited them to come back uh, this coming Sunday and more or less wanted to get some feedback from you on how I might approach the situation, what I might expect um, on the return visit. What did you talk about? Actually, got, uh, got into several topics. Uh, specifically, I talked to them about baptism not being necessary for salvation. Um, That's a good one. Yeah, they actually uh, tried to pull uh, verse John 3, 5 through 6. Yeah. And uh, I had to explain to them that the, the true interpretation of that verse is uh, the first birth is your actual physical birth. Right. The, uh, the, the second is uh, accepting of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's good. You know what? You're probably going to, in all probability, this is how it will go, Chris. Uh, they will inter they'll come back and they'll, they're kind of testing to see how susceptible and unlearned you are in the Bible. And okay. they'll continue to teach. And, and if you bring up too much resistance, uh, they really want to spend their time on finding people who are willing to convert. And okay. So, yeah. So in terms of preparing, just... I would talk to them. In my opinion, I would sit those elders down and say, elders, I want to talk to you about sin. 
Let's talk about sin. Okay. All right? Let me ask you, are you going to heaven? Well, I don't know. Well, let's talk about your sin. How do you, how do you take care of your sin? How is your sin taken care of? And well, you know, and they'll, they'll come up with things and really try to focus on how that's handled and then talk to them about being born again and what that means to them and what it says in the Bible. I would focus on those two things with them and relentlessly show them that they have within them sin and that that sin is not living up to the sacramental covenant they make each week that they will not sin. And I, I would just keep bringing up that Jesus, there is no peace for a believer if they think that their salvation is conditionally based off their wavering in righteousness. Okay. And stick on that one, and they probably will never come back. But you're okay. planting seeds. Great, great. I appreciate it, Sean. Okay, thanks for the call, Chris. Hey, happy 200. Bye-bye. We're going to Alan in Ogden, first-time caller. Alan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Uh, I, love, I love your show. Uh, I have a question on salvation. Yeah. Okay, what is the point of God creating us when he knows beforehand, some of us will make the wrong choices and then will be condemned. That's a great, that is a really good question because it doesn't seem to make much sense, does it, that God would create some people who he knows, him knowing everything, are going to reject him, right? Right. Okay, my answer is this, and it's my answer, and I believe scripture supports it, but it's just my answer, okay, Alan? Okay, okay. First and foremost... I believe that life is a gift. Okay. And God, he created Adam and Eve, and he created a perfect situation for us to come into. We, okay. mankind, decided differently. But life is still a gift. People yeah. still have enjoyment. That's one thing. Second thing is, God is a creator. He creates. He doesn't say, I'm only going to create perfect things that will respond perfectly to my will. He creates. Some things go awry. He's a creator. That's his nature. And so he creates people who are going to have something that's very, very important to him. Freedom of choice. And he lets them choose. Now, when everybody dies, let's say those guys who he created, who chose evil and to reject Christ, look at him and say, you created me knowing full well that I was going to not follow you and I was going to go to hell. But right next to them is going to be you. And you're going to say, but God, you created me. And you said, I, I give you the same choice that I gave this guy, and I chose. And so God creates. And he, it, it would be terrible if he was so, uh, so uh, authoritarian where he only created things that did exactly what he would want. That would make him kind of a demon god. So yeah. I think it's beautiful that he allows the freedom and people to choose him. That's what he wants, out of love. And, and because of that success he has, he's going to have to, he also, being a good and just God, will accept the failures. Yes, yes. Make any sense? Yes, that does. I hope that helps, Alan. Okay, thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Anonymous wants to know if you can cover the 17 points of the true church. In 19, um, 2008, we spent about nine or ten shows doing all 17 points. It was kind of laborious and quite boring, actually. But they're all there, so you can go to 2008 Archives, HOTM.TV, and look those up and see any 17 point that they claim and how we address that. We're going to Bradley in Napa, Idaho, first-time caller on line three. Bradley, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how's it going, Sean? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Very well, very well. Thank you. 
Um, I had a quick question for you concerning um, priesthood, um, like the ability to have priesthood. Um, in your, I haven't been able to watch your streaming, so I'm sorry if this isn't in, um, in coordination with what you've been speaking about. That's okay. Um, do you think that it holds any weight with the LDS at all that, um, as it says in First Nephi um, 5.14, that Lehi, the leader of the people that came to the Americas, um, was from the lineage of Joseph, who didn't have the priesthood whatsoever, meaning that the people in the Book of Mormon had no priesthood to speak of because their person that was supposedly handing down the priesthood <clears throat> didn't even have it themselves or himself. I think, it's a, I think it's an excellent point. I, have, I haven't thought of it. I think it's a great point. I'd strongly suggest going and uh, talking to your LDS friends, see what happens. I know they're going to have an answer, uh, yeah. but I haven't heard of it, so that's a new one for me. I think that's great. All right. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, because um, I've actually um, written you a couple of times, and I've uh, written back and stuff. I'm not sure if you remember, but I was uh, just in your show helping you. My assistant, Cassidy, helps me with my emails, and at times she is negligent in passing them forward to her father. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll be paying for that for the next week. I thank you very much. I was actually Buddhist before, and uh, by listening to your show, I was able to uh, self-convert myself into Christianity, so I thank you very much. Awesome. Praise God, Bradley. Thanks so much God. for watching. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. A Buddhist become Christian. That is, that's wonderful. We're going to Victor in Los Angeles. Victor, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes? Yes, Victor, you're on the air. Yes, Vic well, um, Tanya, man, you've been a blessing in my life, man, so much. You know, that you've been equipping me too much uh, to uh, make discussions with the LDS, and uh, it's, been, it's been good, you know, and I'm going to ask you my question. Yeah, you, know, you remember when Adam, Adam and Eve? Um, Victor, Victor, do you know you're on the air? Huh? You're on the air. Yes, I know I'm in the air. Yes, I know. Okay, uh, what, um, what's your question? My question is about Adam and Eve. Okay. Um, and and it's, uh, are we going to see them in heaven? Oh, are we going to see them in heaven? You know what, does anyone know, is Adam mentioned in the Hebrews Hall Mark of Faith? He's not, he's not mentioned there. He's not yes. mentioned in Hebrews where it kind of highlights the, the big characters. But I never decide who's going to heaven and who's not. So I don't know the answer to that. Seriously? We don't know from the Bible where he is. Have you, have you read of, of, of um, Heaven by Randy Acorn? Alcorn? No. You really haven't read it. You should read it. It's uh, www.epm.org. I'll check it out. Where does he say Adam is? Huh? Where, where does he say Adam is? Where Adam and Eve is? Yeah. Uh, you're talking to me right now. <laughs> there you are. Ah, excellent. Hey, thank you so much for the call, Victor. God bless and thanks right. for watching out there in Los Angeles. I'll see ya. Bye-bye. It comes with those Californians, man. They are... Uh, just kidding. Uh, we're going to Dolores in Layton. We love you, Victor. Dolores in Layton, first-time caller. Dolores, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hi, Dolores. You're on the air. Oh, um, I. My question is, um, how do you get around the fact when uh, people, uh, you, you talk to the Mormon person, 
And you said, are you born again? And they say, yes. I said, um, have you invited Jesus into your heart? They say, yes, I'm a Mormon. How do you, get, how do you witness to them? You, uh, well, first of all, it's against their doctrine that Jesus can live in their heart, which is absolutely against the Bible, which says that Christ may dwell in your heart. So when they say yes, that he does, I would question that doctrinally with them. I'd say, well, you're taught that that's not possible to invite Jesus in, into your life, into your heart. The second thing is I would then ask them, well, what that means? What does that mean to you that you're born again? How does that, and you then have them articulate what that means from their experience. And then you can compare that with what the Bible and what other Christians all share in, in that similar realm of it. What it means is that you're freed from the burden of sin and you are free to love and follow Christ uh, without burden and uh, uh, with a light burden and, and all the things that we know as Christians come with being born again. So I would first challenge them and say that's not part of your doctrine to believe that Christ dwells in you and to ask him to. In fast Bruce R. McConkie in 1979 at BYU said you don't do that. We do not do that. So um, I would challenge them on that, and then I would follow it up if they say, well, I really have, then I'd start asking them. And then you might say, well, if you die today, where are you going? And if they say, well, I think I'll be going to, you say, well, that's not, that's not living by faith. God says you will. You believe in your heart. You confess his name. You will be saved. Why do you say, well, I hope, I think? That's not the, the fruit of someone who's born again. And you just reason with them that way. Does that help, Dolores? Yes, thank you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Uh, I want to read from Doug, Dub, Doug M. Jr. He took the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, and I want you to hear what Joseph Smith, how he translated John 1.1. Now, you're all familiar with John 1.1, where it says, in the beginning um, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, that is what the translation says, and the Greek supports that. In fact, if you read the Greek, it would be all mixed up, and it would be in a different, would, the line wouldn't even come out that way, okay? That, but that was from John, uh, who knew Jesus so well. This is Joseph Smith's translation of John 1.1. In the beginning was the gospel preached through the Son, and the gospel was the Word. And the word was with the son, and the son was with God, and the son was of God. Uh, and so it just shows you that, and, and how he received that translation was by, yeah, I think this sounds better. That's how he got it, you know. And we have 13 million plus people believing or joining that church and saying he must have been right unbelievable that they will discount the beautiful passages of scripture from John and they will transplant it with stuff like that. We're going to Elisa in Saratoga Springs, Utah on line four. First time caller, Elisa or Elisa? It's Elisa. Hi, Elisa. You're on the air. Hi. Um, I just had a couple questions. Actually, it was three questions. My first question was, okay, that the Mormons uh, believe that the blacks were the seed of Cain. Yeah. Okay, that was my first question. My second question was that that Mormons were part of the Mayans. Okay, my third question was that, um, that, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry, I, it, the third Can question I... 
Two enough? That's, that was my, my, okay. my two questions. Yes. First and foremost, uh, Elisa, they believe that the blacks uh, were of the seed of Cain, that the curse was passed down, and, uh, and that it, we, when we talk about blacks in the priesthood, uh, we talk about that curse, and that was well believed strongly all the way up until 1978 and then even beyond. As far as them being the Mayans, uh, he doesn't agree either. What that means is um, in the Book of Mormon, the fiction of the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith tells a story where a group of Hebrews leave Israel, go by boat to the New World, and they split up and they become the American Indians. And that's where this belief is that they also became the Mayan or, or the, the Aztecs. But they don't say that anymore. They used to say that, but now that's been disproven by DNA. So now they just say there's some Indians somewhere that have this lineage to, to try to prove the Book of Mormon. But that's where the Mayan thing comes from, is the belief from the Book of Mormon fiction that a group came over here, became the American Indians. Does that help? Okay. Yeah. Okay. That answers my questions. Okay. Because I'm Hispanic, and you know what? I really don't believe that the Mayan, I mean, that the Mormons were part of my, you know, yeah. my religion or my, my heritage. Yeah, exactly. Know? I don't blame you for not wanting to believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, thanks. You know so what? Thank Thanks thank so you so much, and you know what? I love you know your show, and thank you so much. You've turned everything around. I just started watching your show like three weeks ago, and you know you you're great. Thank you so much. Praise God. Thanks, Elisa. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Uh, Alice wants to know the meaning of grace. Now I I have a meaning, but I'm really not good with little bromides. I can sometimes I mess them up sometimes. So I know somebody in this audience will say it. Someone give me... God's riches at Christ's expense. That's one. Does someone have another one? Same one. So God's riches at Christ's expense. That's an easy way to remember. It's an acronym, the grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Not at ours. Not at our cost. Not at our unrighteousness or filthy works or rags or our self-importance, but at Christ. And he gives us that grace through our faith and belief. That's great. Let's go to Corey in South Carolina, first-time caller. Corey, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, hey, um, nice talking to you. I watch your videos on YouTube all the time. Awesome. Hey, um, okay, I live over in South Carolina. I'm a, um, I'm a Christian, but um, I've been learning about what uh, different churches believe. Uh-huh. And I'm some LDS missionaries over here, and... Um, had a Book of Mormon from them, and I've been reading it for the past few weeks. Um, and I mean, I think the Book of Mormon, in a lot of in a lot of ways, it's very uplifting. Uh -huh. But something that really perplexes me, and what I want to know is why the Book of Mormon, as I've seen, teaches the exact opposite of what the LDS Church teaches. Yeah. It's like the Book of Mormon says, like, about salvation. It talks about what the Bible says of whether you're saved in Christ or you're not. Yeah. And then the LDS Church says, no, there's the, the three kingdoms of glory, and then there's outer darkness, which makes, like, no sense at all, even right. in, to the Book of Mormon. Right. So what I wanted to ask is why, why do they teach the things they do, and then they uplift the Book of Mormon, which teaches the exact opposite of what the church teaches, if a, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Corey. It's a good question. 
what happened is uh, Joseph Smith, he was, he kind of cut his teeth on, uh, for better, lack of a better word, a f uh, frontier uh, Christianity. His mother was a, a faithful Christian, sought for the Lord, and he learned to read by the Bible, and he knew the Bible, and he went to revival meetings, and he understood the whole thing there in the burned over district of New York where he grew up. And <clears throat> so when he and whoever helped him conjured up the Book of Mormon and brought together all these borrowed materials to help write it, one of the reasons you enjoy part of the Book of Mormon is because the, uh, much of it is taken from the Bible, direct verbatim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so he took all that and he, he, he said, look it, the Bible can't be trusted. Let me give you a new book that can. And it contained mostly, there's a few things that are really off, but it mostly contained basic Christian uh, ideas set in a fictional story about this family that came from Israel and landed in the new American continent, split up, became the Indians, fought, killed each other, and that's the story. But what happened is Joseph Smith, when he saw that people could buy into that book and they, they bought into it, he then yeah. took it further. And he started coming up with revelations and he started coming up with all this new doctrine. And all of that subsequent doctrine contradicts the early stuff that he uh, wrote in the Book of Mormon. And that's yeah. what's happened. Today, even though all that wild stuff is doctrinal, uh, the Mormons use the Book of Mormon as the hook. And they take it to people's homes and they say, read the Book of Mormon and pray if it's true. Well, people read it and they say, gosh, this seems like a good book, especially people who don't know the Bible. And they read the story and they think it's good. And so they get the hook. You join the church, you come in, and then pretty soon you start hearing all the different stuff. And before you know it, you're wearing white hats and going to the temple and, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's yeah. just the hook. And that's how, it, that's the purpose it serves. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's like, it's like the Doctrine and Covenants kind of trumps everything from the Book of Mormon. Absolutely. Like, all right, thanks for taking my call, man. God bless. Hey, Corey, that's a great call. Good insights. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. We are going to Jim in Salt Lake City. He's LDS. Jim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, Sean. Um, I've been watching you for a while, and I appreciate what you have to say. And I've been doing what you said. I was born and raised in the LDS faith, and um, I've gotten down on my knees and asking the Lord to save me because I, I want to be saved. And I haven't noticed a change in my life, and I don't know if it's still with my LDS beliefs, like you just mentioned in the show, that you have to be sincere and you have to really want it. Otherwise, what's the point? And I haven't noticed anything different in my life, and I've been thinking, well, what's the point? I've done what you've recommended, and I haven't noticed any change. Well, Jim, let me, let me say this to you. Uh, you went to God, and you really want to know his truth, no matter what the cost. Right. And, and you're willing, if he reveals, if and when he reveals the truth, you're willing to do whatever, however he leads, right? Yes. Okay, so the follow-up to that is trust him. Okay. He knows you better than anybody. Right. He knows when. He's not going to do it too soon. He's not going to do it one second too late. He's going to reach in and change you, maybe when you least expect it, Jim. Maybe when you give up. When you say, ah, oh, forget it. I don't believe McCraney. I don't believe this born-again junk. I'm going back to the Mormon church, and as you're driving, boom. Right. He does it in his time, in his way, because he knows you and what's best. Okay. So the, the important thing, Jim, is you place your trust in faith. This is faith. Okay. 
when you say, God, I believe that it says in your word, if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, I will be saved. Open my eyes to this truth, Lord. Okay. The other thing I would suggest, and you may be doing it, so it might be redundant, is open up the word. Okay. Start with Gospel of John and just start reading and see. Don't use that King James Version the LDS used, the right, quad. Of course. All right, and just see if he starts opening your eyes in, in another way, because often that's the way he does it is through his word, and you get these new eyes, and you're like, I've never seen this this way before. Mm -hmm. So try that, and then will you do me a favor? Call us yeah. back. Call us back in a few weeks and tell us how it's going. Right. I appreciate you, Sean, and keep it up, and I'll 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 do what you recommend. Praise and God, I'll, Jim. I'll, Thanks. I'll lose my faith. We're gonna all be praying for you, Jim. Okay. Thank you, okay. man. Thank you. Bye bye. Right. Bye bye. Awesome call. I love that call. Man, that's worth it. We got a minute 55. Let's see if uh, Wendy from Sandy can make it in 55 seconds. Wendy, you're on yes. the air. Okay. You got to turn that TV down. I always do that. I pick the one that has the TV on. I was going to mute it. <laughs> All right. You're on the air, Wendy. Okay. Hello? Hello. Hi, Sean. Hi. I just, I have, I just have a comment. Yeah. Um, I was LDS, and I am now Christian, and I just wanted to make a comment about um, when I realized what grace really is, because I, I think that there's many LDS people that don't understand it. Um, I used to sit in sacrament meeting, and they would, they would talk about putting um, your trust and laying all your burdens down and giving all your burdens to Christ, and... But I didn't know how to do that. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because you're giving me all this stuff that I have to do. How can I put my trust in him fully and lay my burdens down on him when I, you keep giving me more stuff to do? Okay. And so it wasn't until I left and I was away from it and that I learned that how I could fully trust in him. And I learned what grace was, and that is putting all my trust in him and knowing that he, that I can rest in him, that I don't have to do those things, um, and that when you, when you put your full trust in him, um, you just, your life automatically changes. You want to do those things. Perfect, I, Wendy. We're out of time, but that's an okay. excellent uh, summary, and that's uh, going to be very beneficial, I hope, to Jim, so that I he can so hear. Too. You put all of your trust in him. Thank you, Wendy. We will be back next week. I think we're slipping into the bees. We'll see you here on Heart of the Matter. God bless you. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. I'm going to break my rusty cage and run. My, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage.